Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the Life Wisdom Podcast with your, with your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Bhakti Swami, uh, a prominent uh, member, a leader within the ISKCON movement. Um, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Raj. Appreciate it so much. Perhaps a wonderful way to start is to explain to folks what this beautiful name means, Bhakti Mark, and maybe even tell them at some point what a Swami is. Sure. Let's start with Swami. Swami is basically a title that is in reference to uh, the renounced order of life. It's usually something that's awarded to, uh, to an individual who's gone through monastic lifestyle and has made it now affirmed. Uh, meaning, like in the latter stage of one's life, it means retirement, like super retired, uh, downscaling, uh, being a bit of a wanderer, and uh, having very few possessions, and uh, moving about in such a way as to inspire people on the spiritual side of life, and to be inspired. Mm-hmm. Would you say and, that? Sorry, would you say that um, in your view or in your tradition that? that the Swami life is analogous to perhaps monastic life in Christian tradition? Uh, Yeah, most definitely so. Uh, What you're going to find in our tradition, which is Vedic Hindu lineage background, uh, is that uh, a person who has brahminical inclinations, meaning priestly kind of uh, proclivities, uh, that person usually goes for training for about 20 years and lives with a guru. I'm talking about in traditional, uh, let's say, uh, portfolio. And um, then we'll learn a lot from that guru. Uh, everything from maybe astrology to you know the Vedic texts, astronomy, uh, how to perform uh, ancient rites and sacrifices, how to help people get through with their... Uh, different rites of passage, uh, marriage, death, you know, as we say, hatch, a match, and dispatch. And uh, and then um, you know, also you know, to be perhaps a little bit of a counselor, if that is the inclination. So then, uh, you know, one gets married after some time and then uh, may decide to somewhere between 50, 60 to renounce the role and uh, with the consent of family, uh, move about and, and so on like that. So we, we do have that kind of system within our, within our ISKCON. And uh, I was just a little bit of an oddball. I didn't get married. I probably got myself hooked up in my previous life. And I was satisfied, saturated, whatever you want to call it, and uh, completed that. The karmic, the karmic itch was scratched. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Right. So that uh, Swami, basically, it is like a, an ordained title. And, you know, prior to that, I was already a monk, uh, like a celibate monk throughout my life. And uh, But when you become a Swami, it just means that's now it's affirmed, you are or confirmed, and uh, you, this is your role now in society. You don't get implicated into uh, era, areas of deep administration necessarily or you know, into relationships, period, but uh, just lead the very simple life. You know? And then, so that's the meaning of Swami. 
that's the title. So inference. Before I dive into Bhakti Marg, uh, these are rich terms from um, the ancient Indian context, of course, I wish to just touch on something you just said. Uh, on this podcast, I asked naive questions so as to 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 to, uh, to tease out some themes for people who may not have backgrounds in religion or Hinduism, but they're living on this earth and they might be looking for some tips on how to do so or what it means to live upon this earth. Now you mentioned that your Swami path um, entailed celibacy. Could you explain to us what does uh, brahmachari or what does celibacy mean to you? Uh, in your tradition, and then what does it have to do with uh, uh, life wisdom or, or the good life? Could you explain that to us? Sure. Well, celibacy means, uh, I'll give you a parallel word, celebrate. So to be celibate means to celebrate, but you celebrate the uh, spiritual uh, circle of life, um, you, know, the, um, you know, the development of one's inner self uh, by nature we have this uh, what we call atma and well that's that's our identity we're not these bodies but we are purely spirit and to cultivate that spirit more you go through a particular training and uh, that means that uh, you just don't cultivate the relationship with the opposite sex uh, at least for a period and that, that's for the brahmachari title. Uh, and as I mentioned in my case, I've just uh, kept it that way throughout my life. And um, it, it means you develop good, strong bonds with your peers, those that you're working with in the ashram together, in the monastery, uh, in terms of study, in terms of various services that are rendered within the ashram or slash temple. Um, it means you uh, take a lead in what we call sangha. That means you you can organize uh, spiritual events, uh, gatherings, and talks based on the holy texts that we call the shastras. Um, in, in my particular case, I had a chance to cultivate some culinary skills, you know, and uh, make develop that side of myself. I also have an artistic side, so. I've actually worked with uh, communities, and I travel the world to big festivals. So again, I'm talking about my own personal experience. And I work with the local youths, and we put together dramas to be staged at big events. And uh, in this way, I'm you know, utilizing whatever kind of God-given uh, gifts were given to me, uh, and uh, let's say, dovetailing them in the service of the divine. So this is called Yukta Vairagya. It's a term that comes hails from one of our great teachers in our lineage. He said, real renunciation, real detachment from this world or spiritual cultivation means whether looking at your assets, your, your gifts, your skills and talents and utilizing them in the service of the world like that. So it's really a kind of, for me, it means, or for a standard brahmachari or monk, uh, a preoccupation in um, a very holistic kind of lifestyle. And uh, it can involve charity work as well, like food distribution and 
definitely has a lot to do with uh, disbursement of wisdom, uh, as well as uh, making available to people's ears the sound, uh, that which is sacred, mantras and so on like that. So that immersion in these types of activities, which are very whole and complete, and when I say whole, I mean wholesome, both physically and spiritually, uh, that's what is your engagement, you know, and that's has been my experience. So I became a monk in 1973, so I've been at it for a little while. And just to just to clarify for folks listening who may not have quite the background in Indic religions or or Brahmacharya, this life entails chastity, does it not? Yeah, absolutely. It's an abstinence of, you know, a relationship with someone on the physical, sexual level. And uh, it just means that you keep yourself occupied in things that nurture uh, the, the soul as well as the body. Would you say that these precepts of chastity uh, and this, the spirit of renunciation at large that you speak about, in your view, is that key for life wisdom or the pursuit of life wisdom? What's the relationship? Well, uh, as we touched on uh, how it generally works for those who have sort of a spiritual, strong spiritual inclination, when one is young, one lives within the Gurukul, and then one goes through that celibate period, then if one has an inclination towards married life and the kind of responsibility, which is usually 99.9% of the time, one is encouraged to you know, fit into that role and, and to be a responsible householder, as we use the term, you know, uh, you know, to be good father and husband and so on like that. And uh, so that means you have a full-on experience of celibacy and then chat uh, or chastity. And then later on, you know, just, you know, let's say developing that uh, bond and responsibility with the child rearing and, and trying to comfort the, uh, the one spouse. If one is inclined to slowly reduce those kind of responsibilities, then one may then later on become a sannyas, which means to, in some ways, go back to early student life, like as a brahmachari. So that is a, uh, I would say it's a little bit of a different spin or approach to what we hear from some other traditions where it's celibacy all the way through. It's uh, usually that you have that full-on experience of your years of passion. You kind of direct them in, uh, in a way which is, uh, like say, wholesome, but a spiritual center is preserved. Uh, and and um, if people like this, I'd like to quote from the Bhagavad Gita, our main text, where uh, the Supreme Bhagavan Krishna, he says, I am sex, which is not contrary to uh, Dharma. In other words, he's saying uh, one can enjoy a wholesome family life, uh, but just keep that spiritual center and, and be, of course, very committed to you know, one's partner like that. You mentioned the Bhagavad Gita, this great Sanskrit text of um, classical Hinduism that's so foundational for the ISKCON movement. In your perspective, do you feel that the, 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 the wisdom from the Bhagavad, from the Bhagavad Gita is, uh, is, is something that can be drawn on from beyond the ISKCON or the Hindu context? Or do you feel that 
that wisdom flourishes within the ISKCON or the Hindu context in particular? Well, I, I think that the wisdom that is, uh, you know, presented by Krishna to his warrior friend Arjun, it's a, of a universal nature. Uh, it is jnanam, uh, period. Jnanam means wisdom and the, the science of life. Uh, we're looking at a scenario where Arjuna was in a situation where he's like a broken man, broken down, you know, depressed, basically, and he just didn't feel up to his uh, responsibilities. And I think that happens to everybody. You wake up one morning and says, oh, my God, there's so much pressure these days at the office. And I don't know, my, and my son is giving me a hard time. My daughter is pregnant, and she's only this many years old, blah, blah, blah. So in modern days, so anyways, Arjun was going through this kind of like colossal challenge. And uh, Krishna kind of helped him to gain a spiritual perspective on things. First of all, Krishna is saying, well, listen, you are meant for this. You are meant and trained for this kind of role of a chatriya, which is to serve and to protect. And so to kind of squirm out of it, with, it's quite not organic or it's not natural for you. So just when they need you now, please, you know, think this over deeply. And then Krishna helped Arjuna to gain the spiritual perspective. Listen, you're worried about the loss of lives, even your own. But, you know, we're not these bodies and ultimately the body will die. So what is the need for, you know, getting highly emotional about things? So let's carry on in the spirit of a, of a fighter in the sense that, uh, you know, we are our atma, our soul never dies. The body will eventually, you know. And so in the modern day context, COVID can come and grab you and knock you down, bring you down to your knees and then to the ground, so to speak. But uh, it, it's the soul that persists. And that is the sublime message that comes through in the Gita. That's what gives you a certain kind of bravado or like an inner strength that helps you to kind of like push on uh, with regular duties and responsibilities until it's time to say goodbye, as the famous song goes, time to say goodbye. <laughs> yes, I can't help, but um, it just so happens that my personal uh, training, my academic training is in Sanskrit texts and so narratives, uh, the Puranas, the Bhagavad Gita. I was recently writing an article in the Bhagavad Gita that uh, uh, that really comes to mind as you're speaking about what Krishna is doing with Arjuna and this epithet of Achyuta, you know, the unfallen one, the unfallible one. And mm. Achyuta is trying to help Arjuna to become Achyuta, like get up, get up. And it's it's very powerful. Um, I, I tend to I, I tend to agree with you, uh, it, this podcast welcomes many perspectives. There's no need to agree that the beauty is in different voices, but I tend to also be inclined to view um, the great wisdom texts of the world as universal in their what they're hoping to accomplish. And this podcast is trying to understand what we can make sense of, uh, how to make sense of being a human being and living a meaningful life. And so um, two things come to mind. One is this idea of the pandemic. And perhaps comparable in many ways to being in a war, to being at war. Mm -hmm. Do you think the Bhagavad Gita or anything from your training offers specific wisdom about dealing with this 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 battle in which we're engaged as a globe? Well, yes, I mean it comes clear through 
Bhagavan Krishna's teachings in the Gita that there are fourfold miseries of life, four prominent challenges. And one is Janma, which is birth, Mrityu, which is death, uh, Jira, old age, and then Vyadi, disease. So this final one, which uh, if you dissect the word dis-ease, you know, we tend to always go for what's easy, but uh, what's imposed on us is dis-ease. And uh, so uh, the pandemic that we're going through, is it is a battle. And, uh, you know, how, how, to, how to tackle it? Well, uh, there are different approaches, but in the end, doesn't matter how healthy, how, how much of a superman you are, uh, you will be brought down, you know, by the forces of nature. And then you'll get a chance to, um, you know, just try it all over again, like almost go from where you left off before through the transmigration of the soul policy. So uh, death will come, uh, and uh, it is a battle. I believe that, not to be highly critical with the way it's all being handled by our authorities, but I would say people's lifestyles need to be more seriously looked at. I think we need a little better training and education, how to be more proactive instead of reactive, where we become such a reactive culture, you know, uh, and, and living in a lot of fear. But if you kind of like go for the right dietary practices and, and also a healthier lifestyle, uh, you're liable to be less inclined to become uh, a victim of these kind of circumstances. Uh, you know, I mean, nobody's free from being struck, really. But uh, I think uh, a more edu educational kind of approach to our life would be helpful. And so, therefore, Krishna talks about the three energies and how to uh, how to look at life through the uh, filtering of the three energies or gunas. And so, one is sattva guna. So, if we live by through thoughtfulness and good planning and, uh, you know, careful, yeah, basically uh, goodness principles, uh, we're less inclined to fall prey to these kinds of uh, human frailties. So to build up your uh, immunity and so on like that. So I would say that uh, that, is, that would be a criticism in our educational system that we have currently. It's uh, the, the focus is not so much on wholeness, um, it's uh, uh, or, or a, let's say a wellness kind of lifestyle, but it's the approach is more like see what you can grasp, see what you can grab in terms of acquisitions, and uh, you will die, and that'll be it. So try to simply uh, move in this life, um, eking out whatever you can for simulation, and then uh, because you're going to die, and it'll be over. So you've got just little chance there, a little room of opportunity, but through the wisdom of the Gita, we understand that, okay, I will perish, but then I will be born again uh, with another chance, a second chance, and an opportunity to, you know, whatever gifts I've gained from prior, whatever wisdom I've achieved, I'll, it'll, it'll be retained, and I'll be able to, uh, let's say, um, let's say, ride on that wisdom, uh, that increased wisdom. It's almost like now I'm promoted and now I can do better and I will strive to be as the best as I can as a human being and in the sattva gun and the mode of goodness. So I don't know if I said too much there. <laughs> so well, um, as I've, um, I have a podcast called New Books in Indian Religions. It's more of an academic podcast explaining new scholarship to, to the public. 
this is more of a uh, an inner life spiritual sort of podcast i'd say but the same <laughs> the same applies i always say to interviewees that i always prefer the scenic route <laughs> oh, okay. because Good. there's no agenda but the the exchange the, the dynamic organic exchange that's born of the moment because that mm-hmm. is that is what's real and people can feel when it's a real conversation versus versus like a, an examination or a, something mm-hmm. scripted and so when you what comes to mind i mean there are a number of things that come to mind but one thing you touch on is this notion of reincarnation and uh, this notion of the perspective of li- of having one life, living one life, and the implications thereof versus the perspective of um, rebirth, so crucial to uh, religions of Indic origin. Now, is it fair to say then, or surmise that in your view, that notion of rebirth is key to life wisdom? It's, that that's a very important from what I'm gathering. Well, it is. It's a. Uh, it is uh, quite something to treasure, uh, in terms of, you know, if we're talking about looking at the divine as a loving entity, uh, one who gives one uh, another opportunity. Should we fail in this life, and many of us are just not going to reach, as we say, perfection in this one life. We're not going to come out clean. We still have a clutter, the little demons to deal with. So it's just the notion that uh, I'm giving another uh, opportunity. And, you know, life is really short. Ever goes like a flash in the pan. So then, you know, being born again into a situation of opportunity, a new door opening for you where you continue on uh, with... uh, you know, carrying with you the the compounded uh, you know thing of uh, wisdom that you've amassed, and then and carry on from there to to reach greater goals. It's it's really quite a prize in life, and it, and it is important. It is a circle, and it is what we see in this world um, with the seasonal changes. Uh, just the, everything seems to quite be quite cyclic. And at the same time, where we find depth in Krishna's teachings is that while there is a cyclic pattern, there's also a linear movement as well. That means that you can pull out of this samsara or this uh, repetition of birth and death, uh, you know, because life is cruel in many ways, as we can see with the, what some people are going through with the virus. Uh, it is cruel, but out of that, Going through that suffering, one should be able to, let's say, amass a certain kind of wisdom. You know, like it's like we're, we're like coal, and when pressure is put upon it, we'll become a diamond after a while. So through pressure, uh, we get we shine up, <laughs> so to speak. You know, we we can start to glow. So just that, it's definitely an integral part of our, our of our, uh, our teachings. Uh, is that you're given another chance, another opportunity, and greater hope. I think most faith groups talk about uh, a better life to come. Um, but uh, in, in our particular tradition, uh, since uh, it, it's hard to make the grades in this world uh, in terms of uh, fine-tuning your character, uh, therefore we're given some opportunities more than once. You mentioned earlier this Sanskrit word of jnana or knowledge or wisdom or insight and Krishna giving this great jnana to uh, 
Arjuna or and 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 thereby really anyone who engages the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, this is one path to the divine. There are of course uh, different paths to the divine, and perhaps this is a good opportunity for you to comment on the meaning of bhakti mark in addition to Swami. <laughs> Sure, sure. Well, thank you. And uh, what we understand from the Gita's teachings, which is a compilation of 700 verses, uh, it's, it's actually like a, a wisdom book, uh, which is in sections. And first we hear about karma yoga, which means to uh, look at your psychophysical nature and see how you can channel that uh, in the most... Uh, constructive way to contribute to society, to your community. And then when you, once you put out all that, like say blood, sweat and tears or muscle power, whatever you want to call it through karma yoga, then you can cultivate a little bit more of the jnana yoga, which means to, you know, to discern a little difference between what is matter and what is spirit, what is right and what is wrong. I mean, the jnana yoga, or I, I guess you say jnana, little different pronunciation uh it is um it should always be there right from the beginning uh as soon as you learn age five plus uh but finally this this wisdom or jnana yoga should uh should translate or transform into bhakti and bhakti means devotion where uh you know basically you cultivate uh the richness in life through loving exchanges with with the divine with the creator and uh, so this is the ultimate objective in the gita's teachings i'll give you a sanskrit verse to support what i'm saying yogi nam api sarveshan madgatan antaratmanam shraddhaban bhajate yomam samayuktatamo mataha so that of all the yogic paths um but one should ultimately come to the stage of, of love. You know, as the saying goes, all you need is love. So love means uh, with the divine, with the creator, with the creation, and with the creatures. You know, it's that kind of triangle that we, ha we have to touch, you know, um, and, and uh, hit all those points. Uh, not just that I have love for God, for the for the divine, and I don't have much care for the human race, or I I have no uh, let's say empathy towards uh, uh, let's say uh, well, let's say uh, issues with nature or uh, ecological uh, sensitivities. Um, no, I I should be able to have a profound love for all. And, and that's what bhakti hopes to do. So bhakti means devotion, and marg means path. So that's the name that was given to me. I can't say that I, I am a devotional path, but I am on the devotional path. And uh, I have uh, sort of gained a little bit of a reputation for being a, uh, a walker doing devotion on the path. I have walked across Canada four times and then the U.S. once. And I've done a few other countries like Israel and Ireland and a few you know, little more tropical places. And for the purpose of not because it's it matches up to my name's definition, but that came later. I first started walking and then I realized, oh, my guru gave me this name because uh, he knew I was going to do some bhakti devotion on the path. 
So I think it was quite of a mystical uh, revelation that came one day <laughs> on the first walk I did across Canada. Mm. And uh, so that, that's something. also a very big part, big part of our culture is to roam and meet people and get connected to the elements. Well, it's um, uh, uh, so many threads there. The first I'll ask you is, you mentioned in passing your guru who initiated you and gave you this name. Who was that? His name is uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami, also known to us as Prabhupada. He's the founder Acharya of the Hare Krishna movement. Uh, he was born in the late 19th century and in Kolkata, and he came to America in 1965, and uh, which was a very unique time in the history of North America, uh, counterculture, and he, uh, he was a draw. He, he was they were ready draw. for him. Yeah. <laughs> Krishna primed the pump. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, so he started in New York, and it was, um, New York was a very interesting place, a real hotbed for introspective people and uh, you know there was uh, you were at the height of the Vietnam War where people were Americans especially were wondering why are we engaged in this senseless war what does it have what relevance does it have to us and, uh, and of course he had 1967 he, he was there right at the right time when uh, the summer of love and, and he sort of redefined what is love <laughs> <laughs> like on a, a, a more top-notch notion <laughs> and uh, a lot was happening at that time you know like I, I was born and raised near Detroit on the Canadian side and Detroit was going through it's not it was not the summer of love it was a summer of contempt if anything and Black Day in July was a popular song by Gordon Lightfoot at that time and you stand on the Windsor side and you hear all the bombs and fire, you know, the gun, guns going off and, and the army coming in. It was a really turbulent time for us. And it was a time for introspection. Young people were looking for, what's my meaning? You know, what am I supposed to be doing here? And speaking of the passing of decades, what, what wisdom has been unfurled in your, in your mind, heart now, uh, what do what do you know now, or perhaps um, you wish you knew before? What what has occurred to you over this time? Well, I would say when I first came to uh, participate in the monastic life as a Hari Krishna monk was I was so impressed with some of the bullet point or what we might call sutras uh, messages that uh, would stick with you that allowed you that probed a little bit into your whatever little brain substance you have. So like things like Ahang Brahmasmi, which means I'm spirit. I'm not this body. Because we're, we were living, and I was living in a world, trained to think, you're the body, and that's everything. You know, you enjoy it. You give, go for the, the stimuli. But, you know, just getting this foundational uh, words of wisdom um, that I am spirit, not this body, was just something that I was have been holding on to all this time, and as you cultivate your your God consciousness, your higher consciousness, you start to actually feel it. Uh, you know, of course, you have to address your little demons within, and you have to come. You know, start to act more like a spirit and think like a spirit instead of a, a physical being. You know, and less into miss like a. 
uh, judgment, misjudgment, uh, but rather into uh, probing deeper and seeing every living entity is a spirit. So, you know, over the years, you start to not just look at it theoretically or appreciate it that in that way, in an analytical way, but you start to actually feel it. So there's another verse in the Gita where uh, Krishna says, which means that a real pundit or a real wise individual is one who can see that there's spirit, there's life force in all existences. And that in the body of a dog or even a man who eats a dog, which is not considered to be super high class, or uh, like a Brahmin, you know, a person who's like a, of the priestly order or a cow or an elephant. These are the, like the five categories that are listed. It could have been, you know, millions, but uh, for, uh, you know, more simplicity's sake, Krishna gives those examples that all these beings are, you know, have equanimity. Uh, about them. They're all spirits, even though they're in different bodies. So if we can see that, grab that sense of oneness, which is what you were supposed to cultivate in time, uh, then, uh, you know, this is what what little I have gained, you know, by like in small morsels. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get big bundles. <laughs> so clearly, uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, um, wisdom or the good life or life well lived ultimately has to do with um, an expansion of consciousness, uh, a spiritualization, if you will, a weaning off of the body and 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 pleasures of the of the flesh. And are growing into a larger awareness of 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 consciousness and being that much I think is is palpable. Here's a question I have for you: Do you feel that that process, that spiritualization, that 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 cultivation of wisdom of which you speak, is it necessarily tied to the teachings of Krishna? Oh yes. Um... You know, our whole life is immersed in the teachings of Krishna because for us, our primary texts that we indulge in is Bhagavad Gita, which is spoken by him. And we have the Bhagavad Purana, which is spoken about him, where it's much more voluminous than Bhagavad Gita itself. And then we have other texts along the Bhakti lineage, which is uh, written by individuals inspired in Krishna consciousness, the Shatko Swamis of Vrindavan from like 500 years ago, like when India was going through an incredible kind of like bhakti renaissance with saints like Mirabai and Guru Nanak and Surdas, and then of course there was Sri Chaitanya. These were like incredible luminaries that, uh, you know, kind of put bhakti on the map, uh, which of course it was always there to some degree, but instead of an underground or undercurrent, they brought it more to the fore, you know. And uh, so, you know, that's uh, our what our guru Swami Prabhupada did was he he translated many of these books and such as Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and English translation is Nectar of Devotion, and teachings of Sri Chaitanya and so on like that all geared towards devotion, you know, which is, uh, let's say, more solidly amplified through mantra meditation and through kirtan, 
through chanting, singing, playing instruments, and you know, basically having a spiritual party. <laughs> Let's put it like that. <laughs> That's one nice thing, you know. Everybody loves to party, and and uh, when our guru came from India, he said, "Here's a redefinition of party." Okay, you don't need the, the uh, hallucinogenics. You don't need this, that. Uh, you know, maybe you can even put sex to the side and and. Uh, yeah, let's just have some fun. Here, the drums will beat. They'll get you, you gyrating. They'll, uh, you know, we'll have some food on the side. You sing, you dance, you in abandonment, you could say. And uh, so it's all very wholesome. And you keep doing that until you get tired and you have a good sleep. <laughs> kind of like that. And, so, and you meet you meet people, make friends. And that's the, the whole idea about kirtan, which is so popular. So now. how often do you party these days? Well, with the pandemic, <laughs> you know, I'll be actually, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm in isolation. Uh, I'm, I, uh, I'm, I've got two more days to go. So I have a mild case of COVID. So I have not been able to party <laughs> in the normal sense. But uh, other than that, yes, during this last year, it's not as it has been where we can go in the public, go in a park and 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 do some nice things or be in a temple and invite everybody. So it's been um, a, a, another redefinition, you know, so I was spending a little more time on reading and writing and I like to do poetry. So it's uh, just uh, making adjustments, that's what it is. And I think that's at the core of the bhakti culture, uh, to be ready to bend, to 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 adjust you can never change the uh you know the, the the basic principles they will always be what they are uh you can't alter them but you can uh, adjust the presentation and uh you know there's many different ways to serve as it were and uh you know as long as it's done with love and devotion as krishna states in the gita offered to me with love and devotion a leaf flower, fruit, or water, and I will very much accept it. So Krishna is not demanding love. He's just saying, suggesting love. And that's what bhakti is. He, at the end of the Gita, when he's having that dialogue with Arjuna, he says, it's really up to you what you want to do. I'm just telling you what the bhakti program is and take it or leave it. But Krishna knew Arjuna well enough being a friend. So I know which one you're going to choose. I know which what route you're going to go on. <laughs> So there wasn't really a choice in the matter, I guess you could say. Is there, um, is there any thought? Um, is there, how do I ask this? How do, how, do you ever think about, do you ever make sense of the pandemic through your path? Or how do you make sense of the pandemic? Well, the way we look at it is that there's always going to be some pandemic. I remember in the 69, we took shots for polio. And I still have the document in my, <laughs> my files. And uh, it's just, uh, it, it always keeps these things coming in waves. It was prior to that, it was SARS and it was you know, uh, you know, other forms of this. And uh, it just keeps coming. It's a, it's a, it seems to be an intrusion, uh, but it is one of those waves, like standing at the edge of the ocean and waves will come. You know? And so how you deal with it is really the, is the key factor behind uh you know, being able to cope or not cope. So I, I you know, pandemic or, or not, uh, I think that, like life itself is a big pandemic, death itself. Uh, 
And if we don't get stricken with uh, COVID-19, it's going to be a flu, it's going to be cancer, it's going to be like all the other things that we sort of put to the side, forgotten about. You know, they were always there. <laughs> and if we look at the, you know, you know, many people die from drinking every year, you know, from liquor. And, uh, you know, in the millions, you know, globally. So why don't we look at that a little deeper, maybe we should, you know, tone down on in that area. <laughs> or or whether it's just, you know, eating certain kind of foods that are, un, let's say, unholy. And uh, there's so many things that cause disruption physically and psychologically. Uh, right now, we've decided we're going to hone in on one particular virus, but there's hundreds and millions of thousands floating around into the atmosphere. And I think that the best thing we can do is to lead as clean a life as possible and what we call a sattvic life, living more for the moment as opposed to living in that mode of passion, which is called the rajaguna. And uh, that is your head too much into the future. And then a lot of people um, say what we call living in the mode of ignorance. Technically in Sanskrit, it's called tamagun, means to live too much in the past and to be caught up in self-pity and so on like that. So better to live in the present and try to guard yourself and uh, do the best you can. So live in the present and all you need is love. You are yeah. our words of wisdom. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one big thing too is to uh, grab a hold of your true identity. There's so much confusion uh, today. Uh, in terms of you know sexual orientation and which gender am I really? I I think I'll switch from this to that and you know but ultimately we're not these bodies. Again, I go to back to that point. Get grab a hold of your true identity. Get off the identity crisis and and uh, embrace this concept. I am a spirit which persists life after life. I am not this body. So once we you grab a hold of your true identity, then it comes much easier. What should I now do with myself? You know, that would be the natural question to follow. That would be subsequent to now gaining my understanding of my, who I really am. What will I do? Well, if I'm not, a, if I'm a spirit and not this body, maybe I should be doing spiritual things. <laughs> Just makes it, you know, clears the road, you know, take, it's like taking the snow plow through and being able to tread that path a lot easier, this human path. So why then would you say there are relatively few human beings who are in that mindset or consciousness or on that path of spiritualizing? I, I do believe that a lot of people ponder these things, what we, you and I are talking about, when they get on in their maturity. Uh, I do believe it happens. It's just, it's natural. When you don't have that oomph, you don't, the sex drive isn't there. The hormones don't explode much anymore. And there's more aches and pains. And when, But when you are brighter on another level, you know, the lower body parts are not as active, animated. And the animation is a little bit more here because of the experience. So I believe that is strong in our seniors. And that's why they need to be the most revered. And um, I would say, you know, pop culture that we live in, and everyone's influenced by whether Hollywood or Bollywood, um, it doesn't promote uh, long-term effects. It's into short-term because it's quite all hooked up to uh, consumerism, you know, 
buy something now, get this, you know, get things, things, stuff, stuff, stuff. And instead of downscale, less, less, less is more. You know, that's not the message. I, I wish rappers could talk about that and live it too. Then it might influence people in a more favorable direction. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Well, <laughs> um, one thing I'd like to say is I, I had a good time talking with you. And uh, Krishna says, I am time. Like God is equated with time. So I'm afraid I will have to go and I have to respect that uh, that uh, that aspect of, of the creator that I am time. But uh, I would just like to say I enjoyed this very much. And I'd like to encourage people simply to uh, value simplicity as opposed to uh, complexity and uh, gain and grab a hold of your identity more so as a spirit as opposed to the, uh, the uh, absorption in the physical covering. You know, what's more important is you and not your shirt <laughs> or your dress. It's, it's you are more important. You're, you're more valued because it's you that's going to persist. Well, thank you for the conversation today. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. So for those of you <laughs> listening, those words of wisdom were shared by um, Swami, uh, by Bhakti Marg Swami of the ISKCON movement uh, with a great deal of food for thought in terms of how to live this thing we call human life. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and keep contemplating what it means to be walking in wisdom. <laughs>